Thank you, Barrett. And good morning. Wonderful introduction to what we want to talk about today. Uh, true enjoyment of life. Uh, you've seen it in the bulletin. And uh, I want to, first of all, um, read some scripture out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read verses 11 through for 15 and then 22. This is what Solomon, one of the wisest men that ever lived, says. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to do, to be joyful, to do good, as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So I saw that there is nothing better, that's verse 22, that a man should rejoice in his work. It's Labor Day weekend. <laughs> For that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what he will be after, what will be after him? True enjoyment of life. Sometimes we might be asked the question, especially during the summer or at other times, what do you do for fun in your life? Might we be asked today on a long weekend or during the summer months. Now I realize that the interpretation of Fun is as varied as each person's opinion about it. Somebody might think and say, if I just could retire or quit my job, I would really enjoy life. <laughs> Others say exactly the opposite. Somebody said this. In fact, somebody tells the story about the, his neighbor and says, my retired neighbor tells me, there's no particular pleasure, pleasure in having nothing to do. Do I hear an amen? Um, <laughs> the fun comes, he says, when you have lots to do and don't do it because you don't have to. Is that true? Now, the world somehow thinks that becoming a Christian takes all the fun out of life. You might have heard that. We know that it is not so. In fact, to trust Christ with our lives liberates us from the fear of the future and helps us deal with the uncertainties of life and compels us to move forward. Note what Ecclesiastes 12 and 13 says, and let me just read that again. 
I perceive that there's nothing better for them to do. Be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. The writer actually calls on those who serve God to enjoy life. Yes, enjoy work. That too is from God, he says. Now, there are many different terms which can be used to describe enjoyment. Of course, there's joy, which that's where enjoyment comes from. Happiness, contentment, and we could go on and on. But let's see what Webster says in the dictionary. It describes contentment to be satisfied with one's possession, status, or situation. Let me repeat that. To be satisfied with one's possession, status, or situation. And then the question, of course, that comes to our mind is this. What does ultimately satisfy us? What makes us happy? Now, statistics show us that the average uh, North American, and I suppose Western European and other countries the like, are exposed to about 300 advertisements, or ads we call them, with one basic message. Look, to really be happy, to be successful and smart, you got to buy such and such. And then they advertise all kinds of gadgets. Uh, there might be new cars, there might be new televisions, and that's sort of like an old thing now, but uh, new smartphones, uh, a new computer with all kinds of programs on there, tablets, and you could go on and on. You see, advertising is often designed to create a need which might not actually exist. Now, John Rockefeller, the Bill Gates of the past century or generation, was once asked, how much does it take to satisfy a man? His answer was, a little bit more than he has. Now that's our natural human inclination, isn't it? This implies, however, that we will never be quite satisfied. And that can be good because we will want to advance, or it can be bad because it will cause us all kinds of stress and grief. Be sure we strive to do better. We want to do that, to strive to do better, to advance, to improve ourselves. However, to let this striving enslave us is not what God intended. So this morning we want to talk about what really is going to lead us to enjoy life. Not only for a day, but for a lifetime and beyond a lifetime. So what are some of the keys that lead to true enjoyment of life. There's many, but we are going to limit ourselves to three this morning. The first key is to, to true enjoyment is to know Jesus, to know God. That is sort of obvious, you say, and it's true. It is the first and most important step. If we start any other way, we are starting backwards. Now, this is not a New Testament concept. No, 
this has always been that way. Uh, being at peace with God is so important. To be at peace with Jesus, to have him as our Savior. This leads, of course, that we are at peace with God's world, with our fellow man, and at peace with ourselves. Yes, sometimes we're not at peace with ourselves, and that is so important. And we can't find that when we have peace with God. You see, that is the basis for lasting contentment. An early church father, St. Augustine, which, and I'm sure you've heard this quote, has said, said this, that there is a God-shaped vacuum in every man, and only God can fill it. Solomon actually says that in verse 11. God has set eternity in the heart of man. I checked the Living Bible, and it says this. God has planted, God has planted eternity in the hearts of man. God created us that way. Only by living in this relationship with God can we find fulfillment. In short, God created us to live in fellowship with him. There's a desire for something bigger and better beyond this life. Time is never long enough, is it? Only God is beyond time. To attain this requires that we come, of course, to him by faith, commit ourselves to him, uh, trusting him with our lives, with our future, with eternity. You see, he offers us forgiveness. He offers us a new life. He offers us unconditional acceptance. Uh, now, we often need to start by accepting ourselves um, as well as accepting others who sometimes can cause us difficulties, but God called us to accept people, to minister to them. You see, knowing Christ means to be familiar with him. But that's not all. It's uh, to be familiar with his teaching, to know him as Savior, to look at his plan for our lives and for mankind, to be familiar with God's Word. It, but it's more than just to be familiar with God's Word and his teachings. Simply put, it's to do what it says. And uh, I thought of that, and I added this, to abide with him, to abide in him. When this God-shaped vacuum is filled by the things of God, true enjoyment of life takes hold. Now, how does this look like? Well, very simply, bitterness is replaced with forgiveness. Pride is replaced with humility. Greed is replaced with selfless giving. And we could go on and on this morning. When that happens, happiness and enjoyment of life moves in. And do you know what else comes with that? Well, 
an automatic facelift. You hear about facelifts. Surgeons do that, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> the frown is replaced with what? With a smile. An empty life is filled with that which lasts for eternity. Our generation is perhaps more at risk than any other. It's been said, and we see it. Stardom and success are false gods. Now, Zig Ziglar, in his book, Raising Positive Kids in a Negative World, tells about seeing a well-known interviewing an expert commentator. The interviewing was uh, interviewing this, this expert commentator on television. And Ziegler says the discussion was about the death of a comedian who had taken his own life. And the commentator was asked, do, do you know of any other superstar in athletics and music, entertainment, television, industry, <clears throat> or movies who might also be in danger of either deliberately or accidentally taking his own life? After moments of reflection, the expert being interviewed answered, I don't know of anyone who is famous in these fields who is not in danger because I don't know a single one who's happy, end of quote. And I say, what a tragedy, what a tragedy. Now there are exceptions, of course, because there are Christian entertainment, entertainers who, who know Jesus and who are open about talking about him and uh, who trust him, but there are few. So let's not envy these superstars Uh, but you see, that's not where it stops. In fact, people around us, even though often very successful, are at risk as well in our society. The answer is found in knowing Jesus. He can and will fill the void that people feel in their lives. Because ultimately, God has made us for fellowship with him. Then secondly, true enjoyment does not depend on material things. Oh, they give us comfort and convenience, which is not wrong. It's not wrong to work for promotions, to work for a better comfortable house, to clothe our families better, or replace our old junker of a car with a more dependable one. However, all these things, all these physical objects will not bring contentment. They cannot cure restlessness. They cannot cure anxiety or guilt. A new car, a lovely house, a bigger boat, if you like, this time of the year, add variety and temporary enjoyment to life, no doubt. But they can also increase worry, responsibility, and fear of losing it all. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 8, to be satisfied with what we have. And that summarizes that verse, 1 Timothy 6, 8. 
You see, this constant searching for more, though God-given, if not kept in check, can become a downfall. If we have the basics, food and clothing, shelter, we shall be content. In our society, we have been made to believe otherwise, though. What are the basics that we need in our society? Well, we still mention clothing and food and shelter, house, car, and what else? Uh, big screen TV, well, that's sort of old stuff now. Uh, anyway, there's other things, right? Uh, you, you need this, this new stereo system. You need this new computer. You need this new tablet. You need this new phone and a uh, uh, little more jewelry, uh, designer clothes. And uh, we could go on and on this morning. But what do we really need? What do we really need? Really not all that much. A couple who came back from the poorer countries of Eastern Europe some years ago. Uh, in fact, he lived right across the church in the back, uh, in a church in Saskatoon. Uh, he told me this. He was a university professor. In fact, he taught psychology. Uh, he, he said this. What he had learned, what they had learned as a couple, as they visited these countries, that they had learned on their trip how little you really need, how really little you really need to be satisfied and to live. Now, God will often entrust Christians with earthly riches and praise God. Uh, he's entrusted you with those riches. They're a gift from God. Um, sometimes uh, we find that we have not been entrusted with that. And maybe it is because it would do harm to us. God knows whom to entrust it to. Uh, now, that's my personal opinion. Um, because, see, it's so important to hold on to things loosely. <laughs> hold on to things loosely. The key to all this is that we look at all we have as gifts from God. Which, which he has given to us to administer. He wants us to enjoy life. Let's not believe the fact that, that he doesn't want us to, that he uh, wants to steal us from that joy. No, he wants to give us joy. And he wants us to enjoy the things that, that he's entrusted to us. Now, I recently heard this said, and sometimes we get the wrong opinion about certain things, but this is what this, this speaker was saying, and I heard this. He said, a checkbook, a bank account, is for what you can give to bless others, not for what you can get. See, we don't give for what we can get. We give because that is the thing to do. That is what the Lord asks us to give. In fact, I heard uh, some financial advisors uh, giving uh, this advice. And let me just uh, look at, uh, I have an outline of uh, the outline that you have in the back. 
they, they gave this, this priority when it comes to finances. Give, save, and then spend. <laughs> Three points. You see, for the Christian, to give brings joy. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Shouldn't we, uh, shouldn't what makes God happy make us happy as well? And here is perhaps the most important point that I'm going to make all this morning. The ability to enjoy life is one of God's most excellent gifts to us. The ability to enjoy life is one of God's most excellent gifts to us. So when we have a proper view of God, we discover that real pleasure is not found in what we accumulate, but in enjoying whatever we have as gifts from God and share it with others. Support the building of God's kingdom and give, of course, to those in need. You see, by longing for, by desiring things we don't have, we might miss out on enjoying the ones we do have. A Spanish proverb says, and something might be lost in the translation here, but let me uh, try to do my best here. Since we cannot get what we like, let us like what we get. Since we cannot get what we like, let us like what we get, can get. Now, Hebrews 13, verse 5, says it this way. Let your way of life be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. And then there's a second part to that verse which says, For he himself, that is God, has said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. What more will we need? God has promised us not to forsake us. Now, leaning on his fence one day, a devout Quaker. Now, some of you might not be familiar with who the Quakers are. There is actually a church like that in Edmonton. And they meet in houses uh, because uh, they're known for their simple lifestyle. So this Quaker was watching a new neighbor move in next door. After all kinds of modern appliances, electronic gadgets, and plush furniture had been carried in, the Quaker called over and said, Hey, new neighbor, if you find anything lacking, let me know. I'll show how to live without it. Good advice. You see, money can buy a lot of things. Money is not evil, not at all. It is needed. The problem is with the love of money. And Paul tells us this in 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Not all evil, but a good portion of it. Now, here's a small sample of what we can and cannot buy with money. Money will buy a bed, but not sleep. Books, all kinds of new computer programs, but not brains. Food, but not an appetite. 
finery, like the latest clothes and jewelry, but not beauty. A house, but not a home where happiness dwells. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusement, but not happiness. A gold crucifix, but not a savior. What money can't buy, Jesus gives freely without charge for those who love him, for those who turn to him as their savior and Lord. What a wonderful gift. Greatest gift of all. Then thirdly, true enjoyment does not depend on circumstances. Now, this might be a brave statement. However, give me a chance and I'll show some things to you this morning. However, this too is found in God's Word. And we read... Ecclesiastes 3.22 says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that, a man, that, no, better than that a man should rejoice in his work. Hmm. That is his lot. The uh, ESV says, and the New King James puts it this, For that is his heritage. Rejoice in his work, that is his heritage. New Living Translation. That's why we're here for. God has placed us on this earth for a purpose. However, sometimes circumstances are such that we don't enjoy this work. Let me back up and tell you what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. Each one of us, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God has prepared. He had all of this in mind before we were born. God prepared in advance for us to do. So, sometimes circumstances at work, as you realize, change from good to not so good. <laughs> However, enjoyment for the Christian does not depend on circumstances. Oh, we might go through some moments where we feel stressed or we feel under pressure. And the Apostle Paul is a good example for us. He says in Philippians 4, and I'm sure most here this morning are familiar with that verse. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He was in prison when he wrote this. He didn't know what the next day would bring. And he summarizes that in verses 12 and 13. He does a better summary, I believe, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-six to 28. And let me just quickly give you a summary of it. I have learned to live in hunger, thirst, cold, nakedness, mental suffering, mental torture, and persecution. Huh. And then verse 28. Plus, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. 
Sometimes the leadership of a church will feel that way. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Yet he says, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Amazing. Only, how could he make it? How could he do it? How did he survive and even thrive? He had been, whole, been, been laid hold of by Christ. Forever since his conversion, he was what? Persecuted, misunderstood. But day by day, he was being drawn closer to Christ. He was being conformed into the likeness of Christ. He knew that his heavenly Father ultimately was in control. The more we draw from the strength of God, the more firmly we will be able to stand strong in the bitter storms of adversity in this world. It has been put this way. And it's written by somebody who calls themselves anonymous. <laughs> if you wish to be disappointed, look at others. Stop that, right? <laughs> Don't look at others. If you wish to be disappointed, look at others. If you wish to be disheartened, look at yourself. If you wish to be encouraged, look to Jesus. So, as we close this morning, let us be encouraged to indeed look to Jesus. In fact, abide in him and with him. As we do, he will do his part. Then, with that, let us be content with what he provides. And this includes not to complain or gripe because of what others have done or envy them or have done to us or whatever that may be. Contentment does not depend on circumstances, as we've said, nor on material possessions. It depends on our attitude and our perception of what we really need and our total trust in God. So let's be encouraged. And let me encourage you this morning to take inventory. Right now, through the week, of what you really need in life to enjoy it. Perhaps you have been pursuing things or a cause. It's not something only things, but a cause, whatever it may be. Which have created a lot of stress, these things have created a lot of stress and crowded God out of your life. When you think about them, you might not really need them. The solution is to put God first in everything. Ask yourself, what would Jesus do? If your plans, the things you try for interfere with God being number one, let me humbly suggest to you they're wrong. Drop them at once. Only Christ can fill the God-shaped vacuum you see, life is too big for us. We need a big God to
to help us navigate through the waters and the storms of this world. He made us to live in fellowship with him. He needs to be number one. Only Jesus can fill the God-shaped vacuum in your life. If he is not number one, would you please consider making him number one today? Just turn to him in simple prayer, a prayer of commitment. Or if you've never accepted him as your personal Savior, invite him to come into your life, and he will fill the void you might be dealing with. And yes, there is a void if you don't have Jesus as your Savior. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the fact that he's come into this world to reconcile us with you. He died for our sins so that we might have a joyful life already in this world. Because we know that salvation does not start in eternity, it starts here and now. And the life with you starts here and now as we make you number one in our lives. Lord, forgive us where we've not made you number one. As individuals, as families, as a church, Father, as your people, sometimes, although we have salvation, Lord, sometimes we crowd you out and we ask, Lord, to forgive us. And Father, if there's those here this morning who've never prayed to accept you as their Savior, they would simply come to you in repentance and accepting you and find forgiveness and a new purpose in life and have that void which you created in us, that longing for you for something better and greater than what we are and, and see in this world. You've created us for fellowship with you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.